Uh, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 10? We're kind of diverting from uh, our line-by-line, verse-by-verse uh, exposition of Acts. Uh, just for this one sermon I wanted to preach on, and this is a sermon on baptism. A sermon on baptism. Since we're going to have a baptism on August 13th, uh, I wanted to preach on that. It's a sermon uh, I've preached before, and I just love this text how it instructs us about baptism and the importance of it. So this sermon is called Baptism, Step into the Waters. Step into the Waters. You know, I love baptisms. I, I, I think they're one of my favorite things to go to during the, uh, in the life cycle of a church. It's one of the highlights of a local church. I love to hear the testimonies. I love to hear how Christ saves. I like to hear how Christ dominates over sin and his love and his power breaks the power of sin on someone's life. And yet baptism is one of the most misunderstood doctrines that the church teaches. Some groups teach that baptism saves you. Some groups teach that the waters themselves will cleanse you from sin. More specifically, they're confused about who should get baptized. The question that is most pressing is who? Who should get baptized? Who are the folks that should come before the church and claim Jesus in the waters? For this answer, we got to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, um, part of the passage that Mike read, Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to read here. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing then speaking them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? Verse 48. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. From this passage, God is calling you to believe in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation and confess him as your Savior and Lord through baptism. God is calling you to believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation and confess him as your Savior and Lord through baptism. Admittedly, the purpose of this text is for the hesitant Jewish believers. We, remember, we recall, and we're going to see as we're studying through Acts, that the believers who were mainly Jewish didn't know what to do with people when God saves other people who were non-Jews. They were confused. Could they really be saved? Could non-Jews be saved? Could Gentiles be saved? They, they were hesitant to accept Jew, Gentile believers into the church. Consequently, this text demonstrates and delineates those who should be baptized. But before you get baptized, we have to ask a few questions. What is baptism? How does God say to baptize? Should we baptize dead people? Folks who do not believe, should we baptize those people? Should we baptize babies? Believers only. Now, during the time of the book of Acts, God was doing something quite astonishing and dramatic. Gentiles, non-Jewish unbelievers were not God's covenant people. The Jews could not believe that God would save Gentiles. God was about to shatter their conception of him and his love to the nations. 
That's why he tells the disciples. They don't, they don't quite understand what's happening. Okay? They don't quite understand what's happening in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you recall, when Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So they're, they're not understanding what exactly is happening. They hear these words and they go, okay, I get it, God. You're going to give me power by Christ. I understand. Okay, I'm going to be your witnesses. But they didn't see that these witnesses were going to be to people that they themselves disdained, that they themselves felt uncomfortable around, that they themselves had, did not share the same culture with. They didn't have the same background with. And this is what God does to his people. It's an amazing thing where their pow the power of Christ goes into his people and they will forego comfortability, they will forego security, they will go out to reach those whom he is calling to him. It is powerful, it's majestic, and it is God, even though they may not even have the theology, brothers and sisters. There's other Christians, they may not have this theology, but what's happening, why is Christianity still pressing to the corners of the earth? Why, are folk, why is Christ still pressing in your heart for your neighbor? It is God himself granting us power. And he says, you will be my witnesses. And we already know from Matthew 28, what does it say? When you witness of me, you make disciples and baptize them in where? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts is then this unfolding of God's work through the power of the Spirit through his witnesses. These witnesses will speak of Christ's salvation in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. God puts on full display his passion to glorify his Son by sending his witnesses further and further away so that all the corners of the earth will know his son. That is why when we are, when, when this, uh, I had a pastor ask me, well, what do you, are you guys just going to try and build a big, big church and then that's it? I said, no, we're always about planting more churches. We're always about sending missionaries, supporting missionaries, training guys and sending them out. Why? Because this is the gospel. We're not about creating simply a, a fortress of where Folks who are comfortable with me and I'm comfortable with you and that's the kind of society, kind of a social club, that's not what the gospel is. That's not what Christ has called us to do. So this is Peter's story. You got to understand, Peter never ate with Gentiles. In fact, as they were growing up, they disdained the Gentiles. They couldn't stand them. It's one thing for you to feel uncomfortable in a country where you don't speak that language. I, I know how that feels several times over in different countries. Right? I know how that feels. It's quite another thing when you were raised in hostility and racism in your own family against folks. And now God's called you to witness to them. It's quite interesting, isn't it? And it, caused, it blows your conception of what God is doing. Now, Peter's story answers exactly who should confess Jesus as their Savior through baptism. Should you be baptized? God says only those who can answer yes to the following three crucial questions should be baptized. First question, are you saved? Are you saved? 
first and foremost. You should not get into the waters of baptism unless you are saved. Notice in verses 44 to 46, while Peter's speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How do you know you're saved? How do you know you're Christian? Number one, you believe the gospel. Notice he says, was still speaking these words who were listening to the message. This wasn't a message he created. This wasn't a message of his own opinion. This is, in believing the gospel, this is, there is uh, different aspects of Christianity. There is the objective external evidence, okay? There's the truth of Christ. There's the truth of his claims, the truth of his offered promise, okay? And in that objective promise, that's where our hope and our faith lies. So the first portion is, do you believe this objective truth? Do you believe the gospel? See, Peter was God's appointed spokesperson. He was called to the house of a Roman commander by the name of Cornelius. Peter would have never normally associated with a non-Jew, let alone stay at his house, let alone eat his food. Peter was indeed out of his comfort zone. But this was the only way the gospel was to go out. God wanted Peter to preach the gospel to Cornelius and told Peter through a dream to accept the invitation. Peter then goes to Cornelius' house and starts preaching. And it says in verse 44, in the middle of his preaching, this amazing thing, and this is what we always want, that while he is still speaking, the spirit will fall. Amen? That's what we want. We want Christ to come in. That's what I want. To take the message and to pierce hearts. To convict more than the man can. He can't do any of I can't do any of that. I can't regenerate. I can't convict. I can't change someone's life. But I know someone who can. When Christ comes on the preaching of his word, it is like a train. You can't stop it. While he's still speaking these words, what is the words? It's the message. What's the message? Look simply to the verses before. Look at verse 38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing with all who were pressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging on a cross. God raised him on the third day, granted them that he would become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to the, us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who is appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness. It's amazing. All the prophets, all of scripture, bear witness. Through his name, everyone who believes in him forget, receives forgiveness of sins. Notice he says it's Jesus' position. Notice in verse 38, it's his anointing or his selection. Uh, he was, notice it is his death on the cross, verse 39. They also put him to death by hanging on a cross. Notice it is verse 40, his resurrection. Verse 41, it's his appearances after his resurrection. Verse 42, 
it is his mission and his judgment. Verse 43, it is his prophecies in the scripture concerning him, and it is the offer of forgiveness. In summation, the message is the person, the work of Christ. Simply put, this is the gospel known as the good news. Man is in rebellion against God. God sent his son, Jesus, fully equal with the Father in the form of man. Jesus' perfect life and death on the cross paid for your just penalty of your sin. If you but trust in him and his sacrifice alone for forgiveness, you will be saved. It is a promise. He will not turn you away. If you trust in him, he will save you. Forgive you of all your sins, all your past, all your future sins. If you trust in him and not play games with God. Not come to him with negotiations. You bow the knee and say, you are my Lord and my Savior and I believe you and I will follow you. You will be saved. If you doubt Jesus' position, high and lifted up at the right hand of God, don't get baptized. If you doubt that Jesus is co-equal with the Father, fully man and fully God, don't get baptized. If you doubt his death on the cross or its significance as a substitutionary atonement for sin, don't get baptized. If you don't believe in his resurrection and that hundreds of people saw him in a resurrected state, don't get baptized. If you don't believe in Jesus' mission to save men and that mankind is condemned apart from his person and work, don't get baptized. If you don't believe the scriptures are all about Jesus, not religion, not, not a shell of, of, of godliness, but, but conversion, don't get baptized. If you don't believe that the only way to be saved is through Christ, and he's the only way for forgiveness, by all means, do not get baptized. It is a mockery. You're just getting wet. This is an objective external evidence. Do you believe the gospel? Our English term for the word believe is a little bit weak. It's kind of like an intellectual assent. Kind of like I believe planes fly. I believe that, right? I have an intellectual assent about that. But it's different when you say I trust that this plane will take me to Oakland, that I am boarding now. So I believe and I trust that this plane is actually going to take me to Oakland, right? The word in the scriptures for belief, pistuo, has this element of trust. I believe in trust. I have to say two words to kind of convey the idea. Do you believe and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Second test of salvation. Second question, you've been born again. This is the, oh, no, this is not the second question, excuse me. Tests of salvation. First is you believe the gospel. Secondly, you've been born again. This is a subjective internal evidence. This is what happens to me internally. We call this regeneration. What occurs is uh, in our sin, apart from Christ, God's, man's will, his mind, and his heart has been tainted by sin. We call this 
the sinfulness, the sinful state of man. Such that, not that he is as sinful as he possibly can be. He's not a frothing, saber-toothed, crazy guy killing everybody he sees. Not necessarily that. What we're saying is that every aspect of man, his mind, his will, his heart, has been tainted by sin. Such that he doesn't want the authority of God over his will. He doesn't think godly thoughts. He doesn't think scriptural thoughts. He doesn't want to obey God. And his heart has no desire to get to know him in truth. His heart hates him, despises him. When God comes and saves you, he arrests you. He changes your mind. He does it how? And you come willingly. How? By showing the glory of his son, the offer of his forgiveness. And there is a sweetness that is there. A loveliness. He says the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who are listening to the message. This is how every single person becomes a Christian. It may not be in the same culture or language, but it is exactly the same verse, the same way everywhere for every Christian. The gospel of Christ is proclaimed by reading in scripture or preaching or sharing with a friend or watching a vid clip or hearing on the radio. In a moment, the Holy Spirit causes you to be reborn so that you believe the message that you're exposed to. You may even have a, an, uh, an assent before. Yeah, I think there was a Jesus. I think he did die on a cross. I think he may have been God. But when you get saved, you know he is not a Savior. He is my Savior. He died for my sins. I have been cleansed. My life is different. My heart now desires God. That is a miracle. That's a miracle. When someone comes out of darkness, out of deception, it might even be wrong thinking, and God plucks them out for his glory. And he gives them new life. That's what happened to you. You remember that. If you know Christ, now your heart beats for the things of God. What would we be doing? What would you be doing with your life? And he has transformed you so thoroughly. Your life is so markedly different. Your friends don't even recognize you anymore. You see your friends from high school, from junior high, and they say, what happened to you? You used to run with us. And you say, I met someone. I was saved. Would you like to know Christ? You've been born again. Hallelujah. Titus 3 says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out richly through Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself said, Truly, truly, I say, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He's using symbolism from back in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36, how the Spirit cleanses inside. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes 
from there where it is going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. So you believe the gospel. You've been born again. Is this true of you? Have you been born again? You have a Godward life. Point three under are you saved? You have a Godward life. This is a subjective internal which shows forth externally. We call this sanctification where God makes you more and more Christ-like. You're not perfect. We don't, you're, uh, we don't believe you'll be perfect until glorification. But there is this change in you. First thing he says is speaking with tongues. And now we look at verse 45 and 46. 45 says, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. This is foreign languages. We know this to be the case in Acts chapter 2. Where is this gift exercised? This gift is exercised in Acts chapter 2. What is the gift of tongues? It is this miraculous ability to speak known human languages. It is not a heavenly language. Even in 1 Corinthians 13, when people say, even if I speak in the tongue of angels, that's a third-class Greek condition. If you even studied the Greek, you would know that it, he's not saying that there is a language of angels. He's saying, even if I was, I'd be a clanging gong unless I had love. Even if what I was, my body was burned. His body was not burned. You understand? Even if it was. It's not saying that there is. His body was not burned. He says, even if it was, have I given everything to the poor? There's no indication that Paul wrote that he gave everything to the poor. He says, even if I was poor. He's using a case, it's called a third class condition, that is not true as a hyperbole to show the importance of, of love over the gifts in 1 Corinthians 13. Right? So tongues is defined in Acts chapter 2 as known languages. And we're going to go through that later on. But he notices, it says here, but why was it given? It was given so that the apostles and the Jewish believers would understand that God actually saves Gentiles. It was a verification in this transition of the church. Do you remember? Acts chapter 2 comes. The spirit comes like a rushing wind. They are, they are saved. They are, And then they all of a sudden speak to Cretans, to Arabs. They speak to different languages. And everyone is shocked. Right? And they, they remember this. And they say, okay, I remember this. This is what happened to us. It was a transitory gift to tell them it's happening to the Gentiles as well. Now accept them because their racism and their, and their uh, disdain for the Gentiles was so deep-rooted, God had to break it with a miraculous gift. Notice, he says here, the disciples would know that the Gentiles can be saved and should be included in the church. It was a visible authentication that the gift of tongues that they received in Acts chapter 2 was the same gift of tongues received now. In other words, what happened to them, them truly being saved, is happening to us. Right? And so now he's saying in Acts chapter 11, uh, look in Acts chapter 11, verse 13. He reported to us, this is Peter's, 
They're saying, why did you, they're asking Peter, why did you baptize Gentiles? Why did you do it? You're not supposed to baptize Gentiles. And Peter's giving his report. Verse 13, he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in the house. And he will speak to these words. Verse 15, and as I began to speak, this is Peter speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Notice, just as he did upon us, just like us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, therefore, and he asked the question of the century, right? If God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. When God changes the heart of an individual, it's internal, isn't it? And so for Peter to actually believe that he, he could save Gentiles, the gift had to be given at that time. What's interesting, okay, is as the books, if you lay out the books in dates, in succession, as it continues on, you will see that the gift of tongues disappears. Because why? The transition and the verification of Gentiles being saved was completed. It was a transitory gift given to verify the salvation of Gentiles. That's speaking with tongues. The gift disappeared in later books. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the tongue ceasing. It was an initial authenticating sign which God transitioned out of the church. Tongues that are exercised right now with people who say that they do have tongues, if they're not a foreign language, it's not tongues. Why? Because the Bible defines it as foreign language. Notice also, verse 46, it says here, exalting God, verse 46. They were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. The word there to exalt means to make large, to magnify, to exalt, to glorify, to praise, to make big. It's a response of what God has done. It is making much of God for what he has done through Christ and the resulting work of saving you. This is why the Christian's response in Colossians 3.16 is to praise him. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The response is someone who is exalting God. Your life song now is to praise God. Your life song, my only note is to sing to him. My only subject of sermons is Christ. My only desire is for people to know Christ. Our only mission is Christ. To be baptized, the first question you must answer yes to is, are you saved? The second question you must answer yes to is, are you clear? And what I mean by are you clear is, are you clear on what baptism means? 
particularly, do you understand what baptism is? What is it? Let's look at the qualities and then define it from the text. Peter saw that to his astonishment, the Gentile or non-Jewish believers met the preliminary requirement of being saved. He knew that Christ wanted them to be baptized. But what is baptism? From the text, baptism has four qualities. The first quality. Baptism is indiscriminate. Baptism is indiscriminate. Surely, verse 48, surely no one can refuse. Surely no one can refuse. Again, Peter is beside himself. He just saw non-Jews get saved, and the visible outward expression is the gift of tongues, the transitory gift. God will often astonish you with who he saves. I'm always astonished with who God saves. I'm always surprised, and I'm sure a lot of people are surprised I got saved. In fact, when I got saved, let me tell you, the believers at my home church didn't believe I was saved. It took a couple years for them to believe I was saved. They didn't think I was saved because I had such a bad reputation in high school. God changed me and, and saved me, and he was, I'm a project of God, and he's cleaning me up. But he did save me. Amen? I'm never going back. Are you? I'm never going back. I'm never going back. I just stop boxing God in. Stop it. The only principles that we are to follow are what is outlined in Scripture, but don't box God in on who he decides to save or who he decides to raise up or who he decides to send. Don't box them in. They may not look like you or me. I'm always surprised with this. They could be black, white, Filipino, Mexican, Burmese, Chinese, Indian, Pakistani. Rich, poor, high-cultured, low-cultured, hip-hop culture, country club culture, surf culture, Encinitas culture. PhD, college educated, street educated, military trained. Baptism is not for elite Christians or truly committed Christians. It's for all true believers. You can't stop whom he decides to save. And if he has truly saved, they must all be baptized to the praise of God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Secondly, second quality, baptism is a picture. Notice in verse 48, A says, and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The word baptism, uh, verse uh, 47, excuse me, no one can refuse the water for those to be baptized. Now, the water, it's just a picture it doesn't save. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 21 is a great verse for you to know, okay? And it says, and it's corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, and he says it with a qualification. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. He says, not the physical aspect, not the ritual itself, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, but faith in God, that he cleanses me because I trust in what Christ has done. Namely, he died on the cross and was resurrected. So it's a picture. Baptism, by definition, baptizo, it's a word that means to immerse. It means to dip. All examples in the scripture are by immersion. Jesus was in the Jordan. The Ethiopian was most likely in a river. 
it best pictures the imagery of what happens in a believer's life. He came from death to life. We remember Romans 6. It says, those who have been baptized into Jesus have been baptized into his death. And therefore, we have been buried with him through his baptism into his death. We've been raised to life. Buried, raised. It's just what we do in baptism. Buried, raised. It's a symbol of what God has done. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You are raised to newness and life in Christ. That's why we do baptism by water immersion. Baptism is exclusive. Verse 47, it says, For these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. Now, I know I just said baptism is indiscriminate. But it's true in regards to background. It doesn't matter what background you come from. Anyone from any culture, race, economic, social background can be baptized. But baptism is very exclusive in that it is only those who have been born again should be baptized. Notice he says, who are these? What did, what did Peter say? Peter stated that those who receive the Holy Spirit should be baptized. His requirement is those who are regenerate. He doesn't say bring relatives who did not hear the gospel. He doesn't say baptize your dead relatives as well. Bring your dead relatives or give me your dead relatives' names and we'll baptize them like the Mormons do. He doesn't say bring your babies and infants who do not believe. There is no indication of babies being baptized anywhere in Scripture. So what is the requirement? Those who receive the Spirit. If they did not receive the Spirit and display marks of salvation, belief, regeneration, a Godward life, would he have refused the water? Of course he would have. Because Peter said he would have refused it. Of course he would have. Only believers should be baptized. Number four, baptism is a reminder Baptism is a reminder. Just as we did, can he? Look at verse 47. He says, just as we did, can he? It's a public confession. Notice in verse 48, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, in his name, his reputation, all that he is. You publicly own all who Christ is. You own him that he was born of a virgin, very God, very man, the only sufficient sacrifice for sin. He is the King of kings, Lord of lords, second person of the Trinity. This is the closure of a believer. This is the closure telling everyone I'm a believer. You're telling the local church. You're telling, you're telling Christ himself, I believe in you. This is what baptism is. Now, there is no other device that God has called us to bring closure to. There is no text about altar calls. There is no text about that, that that acts as a closure. Okay, now you're saved because you went forth in an altar call. There is no scripture. What is the closure given in scripture to say, yes, I belong to him? Step in the waters. Step in the waters before the public. Step in the waters before the church. I remember... I remember uh, um, we had a friend, and she uh, came out of the Hindu faith, if I could even call it that. I remember her parents were so upset because they knew. They had a understanding of what baptism was. It means now she didn't belong. She didn't believe what the Hindus believe. 
she identified herself with Christ. That's what baptism is. It's a reminder. Just as we did, Kenny. So they share in that. And as you will see someone go in the waters, you remember when you were baptized and you own the same Christ. Just as that brother or sister is doing now. So here, here's a working definition. Baptism is the responsibility and privilege of every Christian to publicly identify Christ as Lord and Savior of his or her life by water immersion to symbolize their conversion from dead sins to newness of life and inclusion into the church universal. Baptism also serves as an accountability to this new life. You say you're a Christian, we're going to hold you to that. You call yourself a Christian, I'm going to hold you to it. It's a great encouragement to the local body of believers as it testifies of Christ's saving power. It's when all the local, when the local church says, I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't know that God saved you. I didn't know that God changed you. I'm so glad I now know. How do I know? I know through baptism. And you told me your testimony. It is so refreshing. It is so God-honoring. Do you know what baptism is? What does baptism do? Does baptism save you? Does baptism wash away your sins? So the questions, those questions you have to know, you have to be clear on. We don't want to just dunk people without any understanding. Okay? We want you to know what does this mean from scriptures. Thirdly, third question. You have to answer yes to the first question. Are you saved? The second one, are you clear? Clear on the understanding of baptism. And the last one is, are you willing? Are you willing? Verse 48. Notice he says here, he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Willing to do what? Notice first, to obey Jesus. He says he ordered them. Make no mistake, while baptism is a privilege and it's fun to get together and to see what God does, it's a joy and I delight in it. It is an order by the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was only following the authority of Jesus Christ when he directed the believing Jews to baptize the newly saved Gentiles. Listen to Christ's words. You know it well. I just have to say it. Okay. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is why a parachurch can't do the Great Commission. Do you understand? This is why Christian organizations can't do the Great Commission. They can help. That's all they can do. The Great Commission is to be done by the local church. Why? The local church has appointed elders and deacons, and they are the ones who have been commissioned to baptize, to teach, to rear up leaders. It is the only institution that God has blessed to do that. Now, all the other institutions, I have nothing against them, but it is not the central institution that God has ordained to bless. And so any mission, I always ask, well, are they in part of the local church? Are they part of the church? So first, 
Are you willing first to obey Jesus? Are you willing to own Jesus? Notice it says here, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice he says, I belong to him and he belongs to me. That's really what it is. Here are some of the excuses of disobedient Christians. First, I'm too shy. I'm too shy. Or I'm too old is another one. Or I'm ashamed. Let me get this straight. You got to think about this. Jesus was publicly humiliated, hung on a cross, naked and beaten for crimes he did not do. And you won't own him. Matthew 10 says, Everyone therefore who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, listen, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. I think the ultimate denial is you refuse to get baptized if you are a believer in Christ. Now, in application, there are three categories of folks here. There are the saved and the baptized already. When there's a baptism, you ought to glorify and rejoice with your Brothers and sisters, you ought to have a holy party, really. In Luke 15, it says, I tell you, in that same way, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. If the angels are celebrating, so should you, right? When someone comes to Christ and we baptize them, man, that's a joyous thing. I think there should be food or something. There's got to be some kind of fun, right? If you are saved and you do trust in Christ and you're not baptized, I want to encourage you, get in the waters. Get in the waters. Claim Christ. Own Him. Get baptized. Become a member of RBC. Join in this church community to bring glory to Christ together. Let's confess Him together and serve Him here together. If you're not saved, here's my encouragement to you. Come to Christ. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll wash you clean. Don't resist his love. He's not a curse word. He's not what magazines make him out to be. He's not a hard master. He's the Lord of the universe. The only way to God. Trust solely in him and what he has done. Your sins are not paid for unless you trust in Christ. If you are still in rebellion with him, that is insanity. It is cosmic insanity. You will lose. You will lose. He is the Lord of the universe. So should you be baptized? The three questions you need to ask are, are you saved? Are you clear? And are you willing? We're having a baptism on August 13th. Love for you. Uh, if you've come to know Christ, I'd love to talk to you, speak about those things. Um, there is a, uh, a form you could fill out in our RBC uh, website. There is a baptism questionnaire. And basically what it is is it's our way of talking and discussing with you as we meet with you afterwards uh, about the things of the gospel, the things of Christ. We want to make sure that you understand what it means when you step into the waters. And uh, we want to make sure that that doctrine, that teaching is clear. So I encourage you to think and 
Think about that. Consider it. Consider the authority of Christ calling on your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you give us such joy worshiping you. Thank you that you have been moving in folks' hearts. I've been already speaking to some people. and We are just humbled. We pray, Father, that you would move on the hearts of folks. Continue to use us to spread your glory. We love you and we praise you. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to sing. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen.